Ruby has started to show quite a bit of interest in singing in the last couple of years. And I think it must have been nearly two years ago now. She decided to come to one of my gigs and then she said, I might sing tonight. I was like, oh, okay. like, oh, oh, oh well, are you going to sing, are you? Wow. <laughs> I love it. What are you going to sing? And she goes, oh, I'll just do the whole show with you. And I was like, I was thinking... One, you know, I don't want her to feel uncomfortable up there. I want her to have a good experience up on stage yeah. and feel confident. But then I'm also thinking, you cocky little shit. Like, she's there. I'm like, what, you think you can just step into my gig, you know? <laughs> Welcome to Talking in Common, a podcast of all things lifestyle, family, motherhood, relationships, kids and culture. This is not a how-to, but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by. So take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common. Welcome back to Talking in Common. I'm your host, Sophie. And I'm Kate. We recently caught up with one of my oldest family friends, Mahalia Barnes. She may be the daughter of Australian rock royalty, but she is a well-established blues, rock and soul singer in her own right as well as being a mother to her two beautiful daughters, Ruby and Rosetta. She's an epic cook and just an all-round lovely human. Yeah, she is. We talked to her all about her life growing up in music, some of her career highlights, raising her two beautiful girls, and also keeping the balance and connection with her family while being on tour. We can't wait any longer to share this with you. Here she is. So Mahalia, welcome to Talking in Common. It's always nice to chat to a friend, a really old friend. I'm not that old. No, but like we've known each <laughs> Okay, sorry. We have, a break. We've yeah. known each other for I reckon over 32 years. So that's pretty impressive, I think. It's quite a long, a long haul. So there's one question we like to ask our guests here on Talking in Common. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure I will know your answer. I could mm-hmm. be wrong. What did you want to be growing up? Well, there were several versions of what I wanted to be, but I think that really what I wanted to be, I am, yeah, <laughs> um, which is a musician. But I think at one point I thought I was going to be an Olympic swimmer. Really? <laughs> I love that. Except for I'm five foot tall, so that sort of never really was going to happen. I trained all the way through primary school and high school and, you know, Ruby's quite a good swimmer. She trains three times a week or four times a week. But, yeah, that was not ever a realistic mm. career path for me. I think there was only one option. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so tell us a little bit more about, I guess, your childhood and what it was like, yeah, in your early years and growing up and how do you think that's influenced the person that you are today? I mean, I had quite an unusual upbringing. I spent a lot of time out on the road around music. I kind of thought that everybody just made music. I just thought that's what everybody did. You either were an, a singer or, or a musician or you worked in the music industry because that was what I was surrounded by all the time, you know, and I didn't think it was strange to get up and travel for, you know, most of the year and nah. do everything that we did, be backstage at a gig. You know, I think that from the time I was first born, I think they said that I was sleeping in a road case on the side of stage, <laughs> you know, when I was a few weeks old. So, you know, most people don't have that experience growing up but that was just normal for me and i and i loved it and i still do love it part of this whole you know period of of lockdown and um coronavirus has been the longest that i've been at home since i left school because i spend most of my life on tour it's quite surreal to just be in one place for this long cuz even when i was at school i was out on the road with mom and dad you know so it's definitely been a big shift for me but i think that growing up like that has really helped me to be flexible 
and you know adaptable open to change all the time you know i'm not i'm not afraid of change i'm not afraid of new places new people new faces you know i actually i love it i i thrive on it i love traveling i love being put into different situations and having to work out where i fit in and how to make it work you know and that's something that i'm really grateful for well, so I guess growing up and still to this day, rock and roll has been a massive part of your life. Mm-hmm. So how did you sort of go down the track of pursuing a career in souls and blue music? I mean, rock and roll is still a big part of what I do as well. But yeah. growing up, dad actually, you know, even though he's a rock and roll singer, he's also really into soul music and, and blues music. And it's sort of the roots of rock and roll, I suppose, as well. And he played me so much soul music growing up, you know, Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder and, you know, Sam Cooke, Otis Redding, all sorts of like these incredible soul singers. And so that obviously resonated with me from an early age and it's sort of always been what I was drawn to the most out of everything that he played. You know, I mean, they play everything around the house from country music to classical music to, you know, rock and roll to all sorts of stuff, really. So I had a lot to choose from, but the soul music's always sort of made me feel the most, I suppose, and that's that's what I love about it. So you clearly have a huge extensive background in music mm-hmm. and a successful performing career yourself. So tell us a little bit more about your career and some of your personal highlights. I've been very fortunate to get to do all sorts of stuff musically and I've had a lot of highlights, a lot of things that have been incredible moments on stage in the studio. I think a big part of that comes down to the fact that I was always sort of given so much support from family and friends to be whoever I wanted to be. You know, I think that's something that we don't realise how much, like even just a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of support and telling somebody that they can do what they feel and what they what mm. they need to do from a young age in any field, you know, regardless of what you end up doing, you know, and that's something that, you know, has really been a blessing that I've had is so many encouraging and supportive people you know also people who tell you the truth and tell you to pull your head in or tell you when you're not (laughs) doing something very good you know that's (laughs) equally important but that's allowed me to build a career based on what I love and to understand that you have to work really hard to be in this industry but Mm, that you will enjoy you can enjoy it you know like work doesn't have to be a chore you know it's something that for me you know, I love getting to do what I do. I, I'm still excited, whether it's a corporate show or whether it's a tour or whether it's singing a cover song or whether it's like, I love what I do. And I'm mm. really grateful for many opportunities. Probably a couple of highlights for me have been, I mean, there's so many, but in recent years, I was fortunate enough to get to connect with an artist from the States called Joe Bonamassa. And I sing as a solo artist, but I also really love singing as part of a backing section. And some artists feel that that's sort of not the same as singing leads or that it's below it. It's definitely not. It's harder work, but it's also really satisfying and enjoyable to get to be part of a a backing section and to do that well. Mm. And so a highlight for me has been being able to share for, I think it's about 20 years now, being in a backing section with two other women, Jade McRae and Juanita Tippins. And we all do our own thing as individual artists, but when we come together and we work as a section, there's something about it that's just so magic. Yeah. And um, we've been mm. on tour for the last five years now with Joe Bonamassa touring around America and Europe and played some of the most ridiculous venues. And I think a highlight for me definitely has to be <laughs> playing at Red Rocks oh, um, I bet. with him. <laughs> yeah, oh, amazing. <laughs> it's just like 
you know, I mean, it's featured in so many DVDs, music DVDs over the years, but when you step out there and you're in this beautiful natural amphitheatre that's all these big red rocks and the seats are sort of carved into the the landscape and then you look down at the stage where you're going to be playing and behind you is the whole of Denver and at night it's lit up and it's just so beautiful and um, it really feels like incredible when you're there playing and um, that's definitely been a highlight for me. Mm, wow. Amazing. So we'd love to um, get to know a little bit more about you as a mum. You have two beautiful daughters, Ruby, yep. who's 11, yep. and Rosetta, who is four. Mm-hmm. How did you sort cute, of find... Cute names. Yeah, <laughs> gorgeous names. How did you find that transitional stage going from being an individual to becoming a mother? It's pretty surreal, isn't it? I mean, it's. I guess you sort of know that you may or may not do that in your life from an early age. You know, you've already sort of understand what happens as a child, you know, that you have that relationship with a parent, you you know that everything is sort of built around that relationship and, and you know, that parents make sacrifices and you know that they also love it, you know, and you yeah. see that. But then when you actually mm. do it, it's such a different thing, you know. It's um, it's so weird. It is so weird, you know. Like it's, <laughs> it's, so it's weird. amazing. It's really hard and it's yeah. also really incredible, yeah. you know, and there's every day is a different challenge, you know, and I've always been quite... Uh, maternal I guess I'm the eldest of my siblings and I've always sort of felt that I it came quite naturally to me to nurture and to look after people I love you know I think even just with within friend groups or family friends and you know cousins and there's there's a lot of us so I was always sort of used to that relationship but the feeling that you have when you actually have created this human (laughs) so weird when it's in your body and you're like you're feeling all of these things and it's just it's so strange and surreal but also so incredible and um I didn't feel like it was a rude shock as such you know like having the baby you know like I I feel like I was as well prepared as one can be but there's still so much that you just don't know what's going to happen and you don't know how it's going to work or you don't know how you're going to make something work, you know. And I, I've never really been much of a sleeper. I'm not very good at sleeping. I sort of <laughs> tend to, which everyone said would come in really handy, you know, having Yeah, kids. with a newborn in particular. Yeah. It has. But I tell you what, when I had a newborn, I couldn't sleep much because she needed me and I had to feed her. But I remember at one point, probably about a month in, feeling like the life was being drained out of me breastfeeding her I was just sitting there like I was a cow you know (laughs) and I just remember just at one point like I was so happy and like it was so I was okay but I was feeding her and I was just crying like oh I'm so tired (laughs) and Ben poor Ben you know my husband he's like he's so supportive and so lovely but there was nothing he could do to make that better you know and you realize like this is only me and it's like only you and every other mother in the world you know I know but Um, you don't think that in that moment no it's all about you in that moment I'm just this is what I am now Uh, you know and I remember thinking it was so hard and it's like you know you know that it's not true and you know that it will be okay and you know that everyone goes through this or something like this and that and the next day it might be completely different. You're fine. But in that moment, oh, mm. man, it's hard. But um, mm. I feel like we did pretty well in sort of adjusting. You know, we have dragged Ruby around on all over the world on tour with yeah. us just like we were dragged around and <laughs> she's okay. She's turned yeah. out pretty good. So that worked out. And then 
I think the next shock was having a second child and thinking, yeah, I've got this under control. I know what I'm doing now and realizing that, no, I still don't know what I'm doing but because they're so different. Yeah. Were they quite different babies too? Everything about them is different. I mean. You've got to relearn all over again. Yeah. I mean, Ruby was really easy. So I think she sort of lulled us into this false sense of security that (laughs) there's two of this, this is fine. You know, how hard can it be? And Rosie is a handful. Like she's great. She's such a sweet, beautiful girl, such a really compassionate and caring. And she's also the loudest roughest, like (laughs) fast paced, high intensity human other than my dad on this planet, maybe and your dad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It is really like she is him rolled into this little girl's body and it's just like, oh, wow. I wonder if it's second child because I feel like with my girls, I'm starting to see, even though Lulu, my youngest, is only two, Mm. she is way more full on than Nina, louder, rougher. Uh, I guess she's definitely challenged me more so far than Nina ever did. So I (laughs) wonder if it is a second child. Well, I wonder, you're a a second child, so were you a challenge like that? I was an angel. You were an angel. I was an absolute angel. You were an angel. You were (laughs) a sweet little thing. (laughs) So maybe that's You've got to fight for the attention as a second child. That is true. Yeah, not when you're as much of an angel as Kate because you just won the attention over from (laughs) Bashed by eyelids. Yep. I don't know. It's but it's been amazing. I've learned so much about myself having to do that, you know. It is an amazing thing, I think. One of the best things I feel like I've ever done in my life is have mm-hmm. my babies. So Absolutely. Agreed. <sighs> so, with creativity mm-hmm. and parenting, mm-hmm. I'm interested to know how having babies may have influenced your sort of creative journey. For me personally, in the first few months of having a baby, I I feel like I completely lost my creativity altogether and I thought it had gone forever. And I was like, I think think it's gone. This is it. But, you know, now I've got um, a little baby girl who's eight months old and it's all starting to flood back in, which Uh is amazing. How did becoming a mother affect you in that way? I think that there were sort of two parts of that, you know, there's there's being time poor, which changes your, you know, mm. your usual routine of creating or how you would go about the creating. But then mm. I also... And tiredness, yeah, exhaustion, as you said before. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I also felt like inspired in a different sort of purpose that it wasn't just for me anymore, that I had to do something, that I had to do more, yeah. that I was, you know, more inclined to work harder, that I was even more, you know, yeah. which I already was very committed and loved what I was doing, but it just sort of gave me another reason to work even Mm. harder and to make things happen and to create opportunities. And perhaps that's not so much in the creative sense, but just in the actual work ethic sense, you know, it really sort of gave me a lot more drive. But then I think that that flows over into the creation as well. You know, I'm not really like a prolific songwriter as some people are, you know, I mean, my husband will sit and write a song every single day if not more, you know, he's got constant ideas. And when he's not writing, he's drawing or taking photos or, you know, he's incredibly creative. And so I often sort of give myself a bit of a hard time, like, oh, you know, am I even creative? You know, like, but <laughs> because I'm surrounded by these people who are, who are so like prolific and I mm. sort of had to learn to give myself a little bit of a break and not be so, I guess, tough on myself and judgmental about my own creativity because, I realized that me creating was also me singing, you know, when I actually sing, Mm. whether I'm singing a cover or whether I'm singing one of my own songs. And I do have a lot of original material that I regularly do and I've recorded several records, but 
I sort of tend to write in these short bursts. Like I'll go, oh, I'm making a record in two weeks. I better write some songs and then I'll write five, you know, in a go. That's sort of always been the way I am. So it's sort of, I suppose for me, having the kids, I didn't notice a, a drop in my creativity so much as had an awareness of how little I actually put into it in the first place. I felt like I was quite critical of myself. But these days I realise that every time I open my mouth and I sing, I am sharing myself and what I feel and that is creating a feeling hopefully for an audience and for everyone around me. And um, I've found it a lot easier in the last couple of years to um, give myself credit for that. And Mm. I also find that I've you know, found other ways that I realise I'm incredibly creative in lots of ways and that, you know, whether it's in the kitchen or, you know, because I love to cook. That's another passion of mine. And I realize, You're an amazing cook. Thank you. I love it. You know, I love <laughs> cooking. And that for me, I, I realise that once I'm in the kitchen and I've got time and I can do what I want, that that's another way of me being creative and expressing myself. Absolutely. It's hard to sort of define like what is creativity anyway and it's so different for every individual and that sort of path I think broadens and widens when you become a parent it's like there's so yeah. many other ways to express your creativity in it but also I think up, it's about so. the output you know like we all think that you yeah know, to be creative you have to be constantly putting something out and it's like you actually don't it's about what you put out you know and one thing I also find is that I might not make 300 songs a year like some people might but every song that I write mm. I connect to and I use there's very few songs mm. that I've written that I haven't recorded and put out, you know, or don't play regularly on gigs. And so I try to instead put a little bit more weight on the the value of what I create quality. As, and the quality of what I create as yeah. opposed to the quantity of what I create. So a few months ago, you actually performed live on the State of Music with your yeah. daughter, Ruby. Oh my God, it was so beautiful. A beautiful <laughs> song that you wrote for her and when I watched it as a mum and obviously as a really old friend of yours, I just yeah. I had tears in my eyes. It was so beautiful <laughs> and so touching. Oh, um, I found it hard not to cry while actually recording it with her, <sighs> you know, because I could see uh, the love in your eyes as you were singing. Well, with it's her such a, and, like, I mean, you watching her as well. Like, look at my baby. It's a huge thing because, you yeah. know, it's like when I wrote it, I guess you don't know even who she is yet. When we wrote it, she was only just born. You know, mm. we don't even know who she is, whether she yeah, yeah. has any interest in music or singing or what she will be like. You know, we wrote it with some hopes of some things that we thought were important for her to carry through in her life, you know, as a, a little message to remind her of what's important or what we think is important for her. You know, we've been playing it live ever since we wrote it. So that's over 10 years we've been playing it live now. Even just doing it before that date, like every time I sang it, it was one of my most sort of emotional moments, I suppose, in a show, like because it's so real. Like everything, I like to sing, think that everything I sing, I have a real heart connection to because that's sort of the whole point for me of doing what I do. But when it's that and it's for your child and, you know, it's so personal, it's... um really special to get to sing it every night and then when they asked me to be a part of the state of music show and it was a mother's day special and there was sort of ruby has started to show quite a bit of interest in singing in the last couple of years and you know she actually got up on a gig she's got a beautiful voice she does does. as if she wouldn't been your daughter but But she she doesn't like anything that I like she doesn't like any of the music I'm interested in she's like completely different you know like she's much more into Katy Perry and Taylor Swift and then she likes all like all sorts of pop music that I I've never you know had any interest in or or listened to like I can understand the value of it but it's it's not for me you know and she's like oh Mm. 
do we have to listen to Aretha Franklin again, Mum? You know, <laughs> boring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, I know she's a good singer. Oh well, but she's shown a bit of interest in in singing. And about, I think it must have been nearly two years ago now. She decided to come to one of my gigs and she'd sort of gone through a period of not really wanting to come to the gigs. She'd been around them so much that she was like, uh, boring, mum's doing another gig. Uh, I'll just sit in the back room on an iPad or something, you know, yeah. <laughs> or can I just stay at home? And so she said she wanted to come to the show and I was like, yeah, sure, of course, you know. And then she said in the car, we're driving to Sydney and she says, oh, I might sing tonight. Oh, well, are you going to sing, are you? Well, <laughs> I love it. What are you going to sing? And she goes, oh, I'll just do the whole show with you. And I was like, well, <laughs> you're not going to do the whole show if you don't know what you're doing. Because I was thinking, one, you know, I don't want her to feel uncomfortable up there. I want her to have a good experience up on stage yeah. and feel confident. But then I'm also thinking, you cocky little shit. Like, she's there. I'm like, what, you think you can just step into my gig, you know? She's putting herself in the <laughs> deep the, end yeah. there. And so I sort I of was feeling like, she might get that from you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think so. <laughs> and I said to her, well, you have to actually know what you're doing if you're going to do the show because otherwise you're going to f- look uncomfortable up there and that'll be a distraction and I'll be distracted by you worrying about you. She said, okay, well, I'll, I will. I know, I know most of it anyway. And she sort of listened to the album that we were releasing or whatever the whole way in the car. And I said, you can just do a couple of songs, you know, we'll work out the, the best ones and you can do it. And we got to the gig and I said, so which songs do you think you feel most comfortable with? She goes, I told you, I'm going to do the whole show. <laughs> what a legend. And so she got up and she sang with Darren Percival, Jade McRae and Juanita Tippins as the rest of the section. <laughs> like really, and yeah, incredible singers, very, very experienced, you know, the best, you know, singers yeah. that I could have up there with me. And, you know, there's a full band. She's never really done a show with a band and it's loud. My band is loud. Ruby's got quite a sweet, quiet voice. And we got up on stage and there was no sound check. So I was like, well, well, I guess we'll see. And Jade got there and she said, oh, so what parts are you going to sing? She goes, I'll take all the top parts. Oh, Jade's, okay. like, Jade's like, well, that's what I normally do. But, um, you know, sure, you know, you do that. And Jade said to me, don't worry, I'll just double with her and, you know, I'll just back her up so that it, it'll be fine. We'll have it covered. And then... We started the show and, you know, there was definitely a couple of questionable moments, which is fair enough for a nine-year-old, but um, she really did do incredibly. <laughs> she kind of <laughs> nailed it. We were like, and Darren just cried for the entire show and um, <laughs> it was pretty amazing. And so I thought, okay, well, maybe she actually is serious about this, you know. And when they asked me to do, back to the state of music, when they asked me to do the, the show, I thought, well, it would be great to do a song with her and I asked her what she would want to sing. And it was actually her suggestion to do that one. She said, well, why don't we do Little Light? Oh, you know, she because chose it. you wrote that for Beautiful. me, so I should sing that. And I was like, okay, <laughs> Ooh, okay, sure. You know, <laughs> um, cried my eyes out pretty much. Did Rosie want to get in there too? And She always wants to get in there. And I said, no, this is this one, maybe not for this song. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw just recently we did for the sound, we did the, the Billy Thorpe yeah, I song. Yeah, did, yeah. I don't know if you noticed, but in the background, she was sort of like she wouldn't get out of the studio when Dad was singing. And so she just sort of kept like <laughs> popping out. And because we're singing the word crazy, she kept making all these crazy faces because she's pretty out there <laughs> with a wild curly hair. So, yeah, she still gets involved where she can. Oh, she's gorgeous. Obviously, like you mentioned before that, I mean, usually maybe not so much now that we've been um, restricted from travelling, but you tour a lot around the world, sometimes for months at Mm -hmm. a time. How do you manage your time away from your family and also just juggle the art of being a mum when on tour? It's difficult. It's really hard. I mean, 
I've missed out on some big milestones, you know, by being away on tour. Like I missed out on Rosie's first walking, you know. I I missed her first birthday. I went away a few days before her birthday and I was away for six weeks at that point. Mm-hmm. And I came home then for like I think it was less than two weeks and then went for another three, you know, and that was really probably the most difficult. I think when Ruby was littler, we just took her with us everywhere. But obviously now that she's at school and, you know, that made it more difficult to juggle. We just sort of make it work when when we're on the road. You know, we, I guess it's how I grew up. So it wasn't too different for me. It just sort of felt normal to just have them on the road and we just make do in hotel rooms and, you know, you have to Mm. work out when they're little, make sure you've got everything with you. And, you know, you just learn that actually you don't need to have every single baby item under the sun that you can make (laughs) do with whatever you find or, you know, you only need a couple of things and that they don't actually need as much stuff as we think they do. A 20 Um, kilo baby bag that comes with you. Yeah, everywhere. you do it. Just, you, you do it for a, coffee, a couple of times. Bag. Yeah. You do it a couple of times, yeah. and then you realize, no, this is not going to work long term for no. the next three yeah. months on the road in a different place every day. We were touring, and there's a tour bus. You also don't want to bring a new baby onto a tour bus where there's everybody else who is there on tour. They don't necessarily sign up for living with a newborn just because you had one. So you <laughs> That's know, true too. You know, we just sort of make it work. It's not as our financially mm. viable touring like that, but you know. It's balancing that time, that quality time with the family, with the money that you make. You know, there's no point being away and making all this money and missing out on life with them. But there's also no point going out on tour and really schlepping and dragging everyone around and making nothing. So it's like, you know, we just sort of try and juggle where it's appropriate. But, um, you know, you just have to make it work. And as far as being away on my own, I'm so grateful that we have things like FaceTime and, you know, things like that. Yeah. Because... It's hard being away. Every time I go, I think it's actually good for me. I'm going to have the next six weeks or whatever it is. I'm going to really just focus on me. I'm going to get myself fit. I'm going to, so I'm going to get lots make of myself sleep. the priority. I'm going to sleep. Yeah, I'm going to rest. I'm want. going to do everything. <laughs> and after about five days, I'm over that. And I'm like, ooh, I want my family. <laughs> I miss my family you know? so, and then I call and they're fine and they don't even want to talk to me. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so when you and Ben do get to go together sometimes and the girls don't come with you, does it feel like a bit of a... It's like a holiday. Yeah, holiday, novelty together. Yeah, absolutely. We spent the first couple of years of Rosie's life because there was the two of them really juggling and we found that we weren't actually getting much time together, you know, and that was definitely something that was missing. And I think that that happens regardless of touring life or not. You know, when you have kids and people are on different schedules, I think that it's quite normal for there to be a little bit of um, a disconnect in, in a relationship and that's something that, we made a conscious effort to address and to work out actually Mm. making time for each other as well as for ourselves, as well as for the family. You know, you've got to really do all of those things. With us being literally in different countries or different, you know, states or cities at all times, pretty much nonstop for, I reckon, a good year, there was like very little time for us together. And that really did take its toll a little bit. And we had to make a decision to make time for us and so um, important isn't it it really is and I think that I think that he felt it probably more than I did and he had to make me aware that that's how it was how it was and looking back I know it definitely was like that but I guess I was sort of in this mother mode where I was like well everything was for the kids everything had to be about the kids and you know because they need you they need you and it's like they do but 
you also need each other and you know there is no them without you guys I know, you, know? you liked each other mm. first yeah, there's before a they came exactly. along there's <laughs> a reason why they're here exactly you know and yeah. so I sort of was like oh but you know I need this and and the money we need the money and we need to do this and I have to work and you know he became the last priority and that was not an intentional decision it just sort of happened that way and I think probably happens often to mm. a lot of people I think so I imagine but mm. It's been really good to actually make each other aware, make me aware probably more than him that that was sort of what was happening. And then, you know, I still have to be reminded because I tend to do everything for everyone all the time and just sort of keep going. And I think that everybody needs me. You know, it's actually probably I'm a bit of an egomaniac really. (laughs) Um, Or massive control freak. You like to be in control. I do. I do. Now everything's um, all good, in order. Yep. Everyone's sorted. we actually now... You know, even if we're not touring together, like last year on one of the tours that I had in Europe, there was a crossover where we knew that there were people that could have the kids and and Ben actually came and spent two weeks of the tour over in Europe with me without the kids and it was it was amazing. It was like... Sounds so mm. lovely. Oh, honestly, it was like after this period, I'm sure a lot of people need that. Yeah. Um, it was almost like a honeymoon, you know, that we probably never really had because there was a different level of appreciation and, you know, there was actually time for us and it it was really lovely. And so that's something that, you know, once we get through all of this, if things do go back to normal or whatever it was, that I think that it's actually important that we have had an opportunity to reset in this time and to reevaluate what our priorities are and to make Mm, sure that when we do go back, that we don't go backwards that we actually mm. do create a new normal, as lame as it sounds. Like mm, I think it's actually normal. important. A better normal, absolutely, because there was a lot mm. that we did because it felt like that's what you just have to do. And we now have been able to see that maybe things don't have to be on those terms all the time. So how have you adapted during this time, not being able to tour and play your live gigs? Well, we've tried to do as much as we can online, but you know, for me, like I thrive off a live audience. Like that's the joy for me is actually getting, it's giving that energy to an audience, but it gives me the energy, you know, Um, getting it back. Yeah. So at first I was very reluctant to do anything online because I felt like, oh, it's a bit uninspiring singing to a Mm. computer screen or a camera, but, but then once that's all you've got, yeah, you sort of go, oh, but actually maybe it's not so bad. You know, it's not, at least I still get to sing. And there is also obviously feedback from people online, you know, and you see that it actually is still connecting with them and then that that makes it better the next time you do it. So we've tried to sort of do what we can there. I've just used it also as an opportunity to really connect with my family more, you know, and Mm. be present, just be there and set my house up properly and... You know, when you live out of a suitcase, you know, you find that even just down to like, oh, I use this one set of lot of clothes because, you know, once you you only take what you're used to having in the suitcase yeah. and then you go, oh, wait, I've got all these other things. and you know, all these nice outfits yeah. Yeah. I've got about. <laughs> Not that I've got anywhere to go, but, you know, it's just little things like that, just sort of spending the time to connect and do, I guess, what some people might think are normal things, but they're novel for me, you know. Mm. I think that my girls have really appreciated me being around so much and that's been really good at probably pretty important times of their lives too, you know. I mean, Ruby's a preteen now, a tween or whatever they, they call them, but she's starting to get hormonal and I'm definitely seeing, you mm. know, physical oh. changes and all that stuff. And I'm wow. like, oh man, like I'm actually glad I'm here because that's big, you know. It's can a help big... her navigate through that time a bit. Yeah, because it's a big time, you know, and you, you forget and you go, oh, that's right. <laughs> 
all of this stuff happens. Oh, gosh, how are we going to do this? And that has sort of been my main focus. So I haven't felt like I've had to adjust too much. I mean, we're also very fortunate to have a studio. I mean, I'm in the studio now. We've got a studio. So Mm. we've been able to create music. We've been able to record some things. And, um, you know, I have just in the last few weeks started doing live shows again, which is amazing. I mean, they're small numbers. People have to stay seated. I'm used to sort of doing more raucous shows and trying to get people up and dancing and, you know, singing along and stuff. And it's like none of that. But it's been really nice actually because I think people have also been starved of that music, that live entertainment. I hope that people will have a certain level of appreciation for it that perhaps was taken for granted a little bit before. You know, I mean, there's people who love music. There's always been people who are true patrons of the arts and supporters of music and who, I guess, give us what we need to keep doing it. But then there's also a lot of people who just sort of might have taken it for granted that there was incredible talent in this country. Yeah. You know, we have such Mm. amazing artists and we think, oh, we've got to wait. We won't go out until we get to go and see the Katy Perry's or the Taylor Swift's and all of these incredible international acts that come out here. And, And they are incredible and they put on these amazing shows. But I think that hopefully another positive that can come out of this time is that there might be a little bit more support for local artists. And um, for me personally, I have felt that and doing the couple of shows that I've done, the audiences have been so attentive and so enthusiastic and so excited and supportive. I'm certainly missing being able to see live music. I know you guys aren't there yet, but, you know, it's (sighs) coming. It's coming. And (sighs) to make it financially viable for venues and for artists, obviously it's hard to do without big crowds because that's the whole point is to have the biggest crowd you can get. You know, I know. Mm. Well, at least you and the uh, audience are getting something out of it. But that's the thing. Like, at least we get to make a start. Getting that and, connection. You know, and that's the thing. If if it means that for the next few years that's how we have to do it, then I'm okay with that. You know, we will make it work. And I think that we, as an industry, and as a as a community, and as a, as a country, we need to support locally. We need to support venues. We need to support hospitality. We need to support artists. We need to be appreciative of the work that goes into putting those events on, that go into putting even, you know, making a restaurant work. You know, people have underestimated how important those things are to our culture and to our our souls, you know. Hopefully we can all see how essential it is that we support each other as a community in general, but especially the arts and hospitality industry, travel industries, you know, because it's taken a real hit. So you moved out of Sydney a few years ago. Mm-hmm. You now live in the Southern Highlands in New mm-hmm. South Wales. How have you and the girls and Ben adapted to this new, I guess, change? You've got more space, which yep. is always a lovely thing. Yep. I'm so grateful that we were down here for this whole period. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> um, prior to moving down here, we were living right in the city. We were in Redfern in an apartment. We didn't even have a balcony or any sort of outdoor space that wasn't a common area. I think we even killed succulents and, uh, you know. <laughs> succulents, those, really? Yeah, the, the plant, we were given this terrarium of succulents and everyone's like, You're, it's, you can't kill it. It's so yeah. easy. You don't Possible have to do anything. to kill. Well, we did. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> when we decided to move to the Southern Highlands, we, we, you know, we just felt like it was the right time to get out of the city. We were spending more and more time on tour and overseas and we found that when we'd go back home, 
we weren't really stopping or slowing down, especially, you know, we just had Rosie. So we've had, you know, Ruby was quite easy in a confined space. <laughs> like I said, from the beginning, Rosie was not. Yeah. Um, and we thought, oh, you know, maybe we should look at moving down to the Southern Highlands because I actually grew up down here, as you know, Kate, and yeah. my parents lived down here and also Ben's parents had moved down here. So oh, okay, yeah. oh, it felt amazing. like that was... So you're all nearby. Yeah, we felt like that was a good idea for us as a family but also for the support network that we would have with the lifestyle that we lead. And so we started looking and we moved down. Initially it was quite a shock to the system because we had suddenly like half an acre and like overgrown gardens and, you know, like there's like a hundred rose bushes or something at this Things house. Things to maintain. We it was like, hang on a minute, we even killed succulents. How are we going to do this? It's like no idea. Um but we've learned and, you know, we have actually learned to enjoy the gardening and the, the space. And I mean, and then times like this, I feel so grateful that we've had that and that we did yeah. make that move because I cannot imagine being stuck in our apartment, even with Ruby and Ben and I, let alone with Rosie, who, I mean, if I left it, she literally just runs around outside for most of the day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she sounds so much like Lulu. I- yeah. <laughs> And it's like I would feel so bad for her if she was trapped inside and didn't have an outdoor space, you know. Yeah. So I'm really glad that we're down here. But when we first moved, Mm. actually Rosie was just about to turn one. We got in the house. We were home for about a month before I had to go on tour. And I thought, well, that's enough time to get everything sort of set up and get them settled in. And we moved in and about, you know, there were delays with renovations and stuff as always happens. And so we moved in later than we thought, about a week later than we had sort of hoped for. And then about a week after that, I broke my elbow. (laughs) I fell. I just slipped over and I just somehow fell badly and I I broke my elbow. So I couldn't actually even unpack anything. Sounds like something I would do. Yeah. I rarely injure myself. I'm actually like quite coordinated most of the time. I don't even know how I did this. So we moved in. There was about two weeks at home before I went on tour, I think, in the end, and I really couldn't do anything. So I barely unpacked anything. I barely got everything set up. Plus we had a one-year-old. Oh, God. I went away for my first six-week block on tour (laughs) over in America and left Ben in a new place with a house that wasn't set up (laughs) and two children. I felt pretty guilty about that, but I thought it's okay. You know, his mum and dad are around. My mum and dad were actually away. I thought, but his parents are there. You know, it'll be okay. And about a week into the tour, both of his grandfathers died within two days of each other. And so he's in a new place with no friends. He's got two children. He's got a house that's not set up. and both his grandfathers died. So then both of his parents were away dealing with, you know, all of that stuff and their own grief. And so I, I think he probably felt like he had no support at all and was, um, Mm. I think he found the first year really difficult, but it was a bad start for him. But, uh, and I just, I felt so helpless because I was so far away and I couldn't do anything that could make it better. I mean, at first I think he really missed being in Sydney and just having that support and the friends and the convenience of, of being in a big city, yeah. you know, of walking downstairs and there's, you know, 10 restaurants to choose from that are open at all times or the shop doesn't close and, you know. Mm. Yeah. But now. It's just I mean, different though, isn't it? 
Like it's we just couldn't imagine being in the, the city new, now. No. You know, we love it so much. And we when we go and we're in the city, we have fun and we go to a great restaurant that we love and then we can't wait to get home. Yeah. <laughs> but then but then you still you drive and as soon as we get out, the air here is so fresh and clean. It's so beautiful. It's like it's the best we part get of close. the country, isn't it? That like fresh air that you do not get in the city. Yeah. Yeah. And so now we can't imagine it any different. You mentioned before how you love cooking and from what I can see on your Instagram, you're pretty handy at it. Is this an influence from from your upbringing? Because from what I understand, your whole family is pretty handy in the kitchen. Yeah. Everybody in our family loves to cook. Well, we really love to eat and therefore we have learned to cook. We're obsessed yeah. with food. We're all yep. foodies. There's always a feast at any of your houses. It's so good. Delicious too. We, we love it and that's our bonding time. My mum's sisters, Kay and Jep, they're both incredible cooks but all completely different. And um, I, um, my dad's a great okay. cook too. He actually is a really good cook. He can be a bit of a whirlwind in the kitchen as far as like, you know, everything sort of happens in a rush and there can be a bit of chaos but then the food that he makes is amazing. And I, I was sort of lucky to get a lot of, um, I guess, lessons I suppose from different members of the family and, and from friends you know, I was always allowed to be in the kitchen and included and, and encouraged to, to join in. And I've always loved it. I've been baking cakes since I was a kid and I've always eaten everything. So I've just sort of learnt to cook whatever I, I love. And um, it, Yeah, what do you like to cook? Because can you just talk me through that amazing crepe stack? With oh, yeah. Hey, oh, my God, that looked epic. <laughs> can you just talk us through uh, that yeah, for okay. a second? So, you had me drooling. <laughs> I am. Um, I love to make cakes. and uh, I mean, I love cooking all sorts of food. I cook a lot of savoury food. I love cooking Mexican food and Thai food. And, you know, we make fresh pasta often and things like that. But I've always had mm. a sweet tooth and I love cakes. And I've just sort of been really honing those skills, I suppose, in lockdown. And um, I got a couple of amazing cookbooks. One of them's from a bakery or a cake shop in Sydney called Flower and Stone and Nadine has this mm-hmm. amazing cookbook that I, I got and then I also got hold of a cookbook from a wonderful cake shop in Melbourne called Beatrix Bakes mm. and ah, um, yeah. her cookbook amazing cakes. her cookbook is amazing and so actually that crepe cake was based on one of her recipes Ah, um, okay. and I decided it was Ben's birthday and he loves pancakes he really loves crepes and it's sort of a separate little aside, but growing up, his parents somehow had him convinced that crepes and pancakes were a real special treat, that it was very expensive, I think he assumed, because, you know, they just sort of made it out to be such a treat. And when we first got together, I asked him what he wanted for breakfast and, you know, I was like, oh, you know, do you want this? Or, and I said, oh, you know, what about pancakes or something? And he was like, oh, I'll, you know. That's probably not too necessary. Much, too you know. Save that for my yeah, birthday yeah, that's or right. Christmas no, like, or something. And so, so he sort of, and I was like, oh, that's really weird. I wonder, what, okay. That's quite funny. And then later he sort of confessed to me that he was like, but I, uh, isn't that really expensive? And I was like, no, it's like flour and sugar flour and, and water. water. And I'm like, really? Like, it's not at all. It's easy. And he was like, oh, my mum and dad totally had me convinced that that was some sort of luxury item. And so. <laughs> you should have gone with it. I know I should like, have, but I just. God, when I make you crazy. I was so confused. I was like, what is this? Well, okay, that's weird. That's a weird reaction. Maybe he doesn't like pancakes. Okay. Um, but so it's sort of as a nod to that, I sort of thought, well, I'll make him a cake that is all crepes. And, you know, I made that a bunch of crepes and we made a passion fruit curd. And then like we Looked whipped amazing. up some cream and mascarpone. Um, 
I'm starving just and thinking about so that. so good. Just laid mm. it all up and I put fresh mango through it because we've just sort of started getting the first fresh mangoes oh, of, first the of the season. It's like oh, I'm so obsessed with, with tropical fruits and like like mango to me there is nothing better. Like that's just. My, it's, it's my favourite fruit, mango. It's a gift. It really is. It? is. Yeah. yeah, love it. And so oh, when they're so ripe and sweet and oh, juicy, the best. I'm so glad that the weather's <laughs> starting to warm up and we'll see more of them. Um, fruits. Yeah. Yum. But um, yeah, so we made, so I decided for his birthday, they're all things that he really loves and that I would make, yeah, this layered crepe cake for him. So that was, um, mm. it was delicious. <sighs> delicious. Yeah. If anything, lockdown's done for us all. I'm sure it's improved all of our cooking skills. That's for sure. <laughs> or broadened the, yes. broadened the diversity in the kitchen yeah. for uh, <laughs> for me anyway. Yeah. All right, so before we let you go and wrap this up, mm-hmm. what do you like to do for yourself when you require a bit of time out? Mahalia only time. <sighs> probably cook actually, mostly. That's probably what I like to do. I was felt very lucky. The last couple of days have been beautiful weather. I mean, the one thing about the Highlands is it gets a little bit cold down here, but the last couple of days have just been these beautiful spring days and at the front of our house we've got a little balcony deck sort of thing at the very front entrance and it gets an amazing amount of sun right there on the front and so when the kids are at school and if I don't have endless emails to send or whatever to do as far as work goes I just like to sit there in the sun in the quiet in the fresh air and so it's it's that or it's cooking and so I got got a good like half an hour in the sun yesterday and it was so nice I felt like a new person afterwards makes such a difference doesn't mm. it sunshine yeah. just really elevates your mood it's so that's why good. I'm hoping that at least for all of us regardless of how this coronavirus situation plays out at least for the next few months we'll hopefully have a bit of sunshine and that's surely going to help sun. everyone yeah totally yeah thank you so that. much for chatting to us yeah we really thank you from the bottom of our hearts it's so nice to be able to do this and do it with friends as well so no it's yeah. really lovely to talk thank to you, you. nice to you know, see you on Zoom and have you. I know. Look at you. <laughs> Look at you. It's nice. Yeah. All right. Thanks for your precious time. Thank you. Say hi to your girls. I will. That was so great catching up with Mahalia. You can head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes and to learn more about Mahalia. Make sure you hit subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Talking In Common. And as always, thanks for listening.